What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On this episode, we have Rich Bracken. He's a keynote speaker, a podcaster, and an author. He's worked with companies like Vice, ESPN, ABC, and Bustle, just to name a few. We tackled topics ranging from empathy and storytelling all the way to how Hanson, the band Hanson, actually went from making songs like Umbop to making beer and selling it out of their own microbrewery. Uh, he also ends us with this, this powerful idea that your story can become someone else's lifeline. It's a great conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Let's go and dive in, man. man. All right, so so you're a keynote speaker, doing virtual Mm -hmm. keynotes, obviously, this year, hopefully, getting back to in-person. Podcaster. uh, At one point, I thought you actually worked for the TV station because you're on TV so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you do all these things, but we actually met while you were a DJ. And so you also yeah. have this, this history and really a love and passion that overflows a lot for music, but a history of, of being a DJ. So can you talk to me a little bit about that, like the DJ world and uh, what's that look like for you? Sure. Yeah, they, the, the music side of me and the business side of me intertwines quite a bit. I use a lot of my, my DJ stories and, and my background in music and entertainment in my keynotes. And so it's a lot of fun to weave the two because I, I still, to this day, will always have a passion and I, for the rest of my life, will have a passion for DJing and always for music. And so the short story about DJing was that I did it by accident when I was 15 because we were hiring what we deemed at the time was an old 40-year-old DJ to come to our mixers and the guy was terrible. <laughs> and so my, my best friend and I, I know, I'm like, <laughs> at 44, I'm like, ah, I regret that statement. Um, but at the time... My best friend and I owned a ton of CDs. And okay. so we're like, you know, I was on student council. I went, you know, why don't you just hire Brett and I? We'll do the, the dances. We're charging, this guy's charging $500. We'll do it for 150 bucks. And nice. Undercutting so we the competition, doing right. it. And hustling. nobody was coming. We had five people at the last dance that we did not do. And we had like 300 at the first one that we did. Because, you know, you want to go hear your friends DJ. It's a cool right. thing. And so I just, I, I fell in love with it. And I've always been a music kid. Like I, growing up, my dad played music all the time, like rock and Motown. And so I grew up on it, but I always had an affinity for music. And so once that first, like that crowd interaction and that, that energy, yeah. you know, even from a, a raucous high school crowd was, was it for me. And from that point forward, I found a way to carve out my own niche as a DJ. And it was, and I never, I, you know, in hindsight, yeah, I think it would have been really fun to dive in head first and make that my main career. But I always just kind of did it for fun and wound up in a lot of really phenomenal positions where I was opening for people like Kelly Rowland and Avicii and Roger Sanchez and Stonebridge and some really notable names. So it was, it was always a passion of mine, you know, and, and yeah, I made money and got to travel and do some cool stuff and played in Vegas and played in Miami and did all these things. But now when I'm on stage doing keynotes or even, even in a virtual sense because of the TV stuff, now I understand the value of interacting with, with crowds and how to work a crowd and how to pick up on that energy because I've also learned in my, my elder years, now that I'm past the 40-year-old DJ mark, um, <laughs> that I am what they call a high-sensitivity person, So, which is exactly what I felt when I was DJing. Like I could hear the music and, and feel everything, but I could feel the energy. Like the, the crowd right. had a color to me and I would hear the music when I would pick out tracks. 
I would hear it in the bar and I would hear the structure of it or see the structure of it as I'm listening to mm -hmm. it. So I just had, I heard it a different way. And it's always been a big passion of mine. So I weave those two in all the time. And I talk about how you can interact and engage with people and, and how music, I mean, I talk about music with emotional intelligence because, you know, I'm, I listen to music nonstop, whether I'm working on a project or first thing in the morning. So, so right. music is a humongous part of my life and always will be. Well, and it seems like a lot of great performers, that's that's the piece they have. I think of it as empathy uh, on like a different scale. But but yeah, it's yeah. interesting standing on stage. Uh, a lot of the artists I know, they, they can sense it. And I've seen it in uh, speakers as well, where it's like they can sense how to change it. Like even speakers I've seen who have spoke night after night for different reasons. I got to see them speak. They knew the room was just a little different and they could adjust and, and really bring them along with them. So that's cool that you found a way to take that world and apply it now in the, in the keynote world for you. And yeah. one thing I, I've noticed, and I think of you also as a fitness guy, um, I'm, I'm super into fitness and all that as well. So it's really inspiring, but I know your story comes with, uh, uh, it wasn't always that way for you, right? right. Uh, right. you were, you were on a journey yourself of, of overcoming, well, I'll let you tell it like your, your sure. story of getting into fitness. And I think from my understanding of when we've talked and when I've read about it, it, it drove where you're at today as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I started off as a rail thin kid when, you know, up until about third grade, fourth grade, I was active and I was this skinny blonde kid that was just running all the time. Um, around fourth grade, my doctor diagnosed me with asthma. And so my parents being an only child, my parents were like, sit down, don't do anything. You can't go outside. You, you, you know, this is going to trigger your asthma. And so I got into video games and fast food, wound up putting on a lot of weight. I was the Husky jeans kid in school. I, you know, I, I got picked on a lot. I got bullied a lot because of my size. But it was just, you know, I didn't know any better. My parents didn't know any better. Like, I never blamed them for the reason for, for the way I looked. Uh, because back then, we didn't have the nutritional knowledge and we don't have the right. education that we do now. And so I adopted that, that bigger mentality in the sense that I became a football player and I was an offensive lineman. And so I took a lot of value in protecting my friends. You know, an offensive, mm -hmm. that's the offensive lineman's job is to protect the quarterback, protect the, you know, protect the offense. So that I took a lot of a lot of value in that. So that progressed, and, and I was 235 pounds when I graduated high school, and then I got oh, up wow. to 260 in college. Okay. And finally, when I quit playing football, I was like, I don't need to be this big anymore. And I didn't I didn't try to lose as much weight as I did. I wanted to get down to about 200 pounds. And then once I hit 200, and I started feeling really good, I had more energy. I felt better about myself. Everything was just different. I just felt a change coming on. And so I wound up losing a hundred pounds and have kept it off now for 25 years. That's and so amazing. it was really adopting the lifestyle of change as opposed to people that you know pop pills or take on a fad diet or something like that. Like I changed my entire knowledge about food and exercise and, and exercise became a huge thing for me. And I, you know, I went from being the powerlifting college football player to now, like, I'm not afraid to pick up 20 pound dumbbells or 10 pound dumbbells and use them in my workouts because I understand the value of reps, you know, high reps and low weight because it, right. it helps me feel good. It helps me look good to, to what I want to look like. So yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey, but it is, it is a key message that I have talking about goal achievement and doing things the right way and not cutting corners. Yeah, that's I, I love that you bring up the idea of lifestyle change as well, because I know in the past, as I've looked to get into either lifting or like there's a season of CrossFit. Now I do like endurance sports. Um, I'm doing an Ironman, uh, mm. Ironman California, as long as everything goes as planned as far right. as uh, the, the world opening back up. Um, but 
the the idea of these quick you know diets like 30 days to do this and it it just never seemed to work and so for me it was like what are these slow changes that i can make to where it becomes a lifestyle behind it and i feel like that's made a difference and anyone that i've seen that's a difference for them as well or how do i like you said 25 years later here you right. are still living. Well, it's that the same out. thing in life too. I mean, you can, you can want to change anything in your life that you want to change. And if you feel like it's going to happen overnight or you make a plan for it to happen overnight, it's not going to stick. I mean, it's just not because you have to change your mentality. You have to change the behavior, you have to change the outlook on things. And it's easier. So even now when I fall off the wagon, because I fall off the wagon every Sunday when the chiefs are playing, because I just give myself permission to do that, but I yeah. know how to get back. on. That's the almost wagon part of it. Right, exactly. It's it's it's, yeah. it's it's good luck. I've helped the Chiefs get as far as they have in the last couple of years because of my eating habits on Sunday. You're welcome, Patrick. And we Collins. are all we are all grateful. We are hey, all grateful. Hey, Kansas Thank City, you. number one, you're welcome that I moved out of town two years ago. We've gone to back-to-back Super Bowls, so I understand that there's a <laughs> billboard outside of Kansas City saying, do not let this guy come back into city limits with a moving truck. I get yeah. it. But, you know, it, it really is all about understanding that you can get back to wherever you need to get back to, no matter how far you slide, because you've, you've trained yourself to understand the path. But if yeah. you fall off the wagon and you're like, uh, you know, I got to go pick up another different kind of shake or, you know, what if your shake company goes out of business? What are you going to do then? So it's understanding that getting the habits and getting the lifestyle built gets you back to center when you slip that way. Yeah. The, the swimming portion of the Ironman's that's been a place where I, when I'm swimming laps, typically I'm saying to myself, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And yep. going through, it's all these minute little changes you do in the water that make all the difference in the end. And, and it's, I've been trying to think to myself, where do I apply it in my own life? What are, what are those little habits that in the end will actually make a difference? It's a, I wish I could remember who said it. Maybe, you know, uh, where it's like, we, we often overestimate what we can do in one day and underestimate what we can accomplish an entire year. And I, it's like, I have actually never heard that, but I will yeah. attribute it to you now. So right. I, every time I think about that mentality, <laughs> I'm going to think about you. So I, I, yeah, I stole it from, from somebody. <laughs> I, I'm probably like 15 books that's, that was quoted in, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, those, those incremental little changes, man. And I, I deal with that because I get so stressed out, you know, uh, too mm-hmm. often. And it's like, right. I have to remember, it's like, hey, what's a little thing you can do today? You know, right. so, so the idea of storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you are a professional storyteller. You, yeah. you are, you know, traveling the world and then also now, you know, speaking to the whole world through, through that office right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to my storytelling does, kingdom right here. <laughs> where does the passion of storytelling, where did it start for you? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think it started when I really started diving into music, to be honest, to kind of bring bring the connection back. Um, I've always loved the passion and storytelling, both lyrically and musically through music, because, you know, in movies, too, I'm a big movie junkie as well. Um, and I think it, it was back when music started making sense to me. Like, I remember distinctly buying the Injustice for All CD uh, back in seventh grade. And that to me, I think, I think actually now that I pinpoint it, I think that was the first time I understood storytelling and beauty and music from a creation standpoint. And I mean, that, that, that album is angry, it's dark, but it's relatable in a lot of ways. And so when you, when you go back and listen to that album throughout there, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's action packed. And I think that's, you know, I love Metallica for that reason uh, and, and many more, but that storytelling aspect, that, 
that operatic way of conveying a message and conveying a story is really powerful. And I feel I, now again, like I'm, I'm real timing this experience. So, so here we go. Like I, I do, I remember the emotions that evoked in me and I remember the stories that it told. And I was like, Oh yeah, I can relate to that. Or, you know, I don't understand exactly how he felt when he wrote this, but this is how I, it makes me feel and how it, it ties to my story. And I think every musician I've ever had a chance to talk with and, 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 and have a conversation with says the same thing. Like I'm telling my story and it's so powerful to them when, you know, I've talked to a couple of people that say, you know, when you stand on a stage and you sing a song that you wrote from the heart and you see the crowd singing it back and they've got as many tears in, your, in their eyes or they've got that same euphoric look on their face, they've, they've connected with that story. And I think that is so powerful. And I used to do that with my DJ sets. Like I would try, like I would always say, you could tell what mood I'm in and what I'm trying to convey by my set. So the <laughs> way awesome. I slow to things, right? You know, and I, I was either like, it's great and it's bouncy or we're, we're going dark and it's going to be hard. Yeah, he's, and there's going to be, some, angsty big, today. There's gonna, there's like gonna be some heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff in this set, man. And, but it, it really is that it's that storytelling and it's, it's the ability to come in and just like tap on someone's heart or tap on someone's mind and say, Hey, pay attention. Here's what you're going to find out of this. And I think that's where I love, like when I give keynotes, like nothing, nothing is more flattering to me and more valuable to me than to have somebody reach out after a presentation and say, Hey, this resonated with me because, and it typically is not the same thing that it resonated with me on maybe similar, but I love hearing their take on it because we all have our, our subjective view on things. So yeah, that's what's always so interesting for me where I, I'll write a song about a particular thing and someone comes up to me and, and says, man, this, this helped me think about a situation with my dad. And I was like, I didn't even, I, I, I was talking about dogmatic, blah, 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 you know, things right. that I thought right. were great. And, but it helped them in a particular way. That's the beauty, I think, of art and, and storytelling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's, you know, the, the old saying that you could have 10 people look at the same painting and they're going to take something else away from it, or they're going to have so many, 10 different people listen to the same song and they're all going to have like a, a, a unique piece of feedback on it because they are, you're all hearing something, you're all tying to the story differently, but that's, it is, it's the beauty of art because it's ever changing and it's never the same. Yeah. That's our band's la the band that I was previously in our album. There was a song I was just fighting to cut. I wrote it. I, <laughs> I had worked on it forever. We even were almost done recording the whole thing. And I was like, I don't like it. We should have put it on the album and everyone else were like, no, you're going to put it on there. So I listened to him and later on and it ended up becoming one of our more popular tunes with fans. Oh, wow. And I'm like, to the point where I was like, I don't get it, but we'll keep playing. <laughs> but it, but it connected with them in a fresh way. But yeah, I, don't I, even, I, I don't even like me, but evidently everybody else does. So yeah, I, I apparently everyone likes that song, but I didn't like it. <laughs> but uh, I wonder, I wonder it, if Hanson feels the same way. Hmm. Uh, I bet. I bet. Especially because I think they, they still perform, but do like their indie stuff. Uh, but they do. there's no I way think they, they own get a brewery. It. Not to go down that rabbit hole, but I think they Brilliant. own a beer or something like that. So I would go drink a beer at the Hanson Brewery. I, I would gladly drink a Hanson beer. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't care who sees this video. Like I, I would <laughs> gladly have a Hanson beer. I would I mean, sing. I would do a spoken word interpretation of Mbop while drinking a Hanson beer. And I'd let I'm people holding you film it. I will find the Hanson beer and I'm sending Let's do you Hanson beer and you're on the hook to do a spoken that, word interpretation of said Hanson beer. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I just, <laughs> Who knew I we were going to go Hanson and beer on this conversation. <laughs> 
I hope that it's a stout. I, that's my only thing, but it, whatever it is, whatever it is, uh, I'll even stomach an IPA, which I know that kills my hipster cred. No IPAs, but, but you're taking, you're taking one for the night for nineties pop culture. So yeah, you're excused. Cause it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I love that your inspiration of storytelling started with Metallica. Uh, that to me, it's such a, a fresh take. And I love that I learned that fact, like in real time with you right now. Like I never, I've never <laughs> thought about that. And yeah. and now like I, you know, I'm hearing that album in, in the, in the back of my head now. And it's true. Like I remember sitting in my room, listening to that album countless times. Man. And I remember all of it. And, and that was the first album that I really wanted to learn. I, I played bass too. And I wanted to learn all of Jason Newstead's bass lines in that album, because I was just, I was, I was like, this is amazing. And this is, this is hitting me differently. And so, yeah, I, I mean, true confession. Like I had never actually said that out loud, nor had I realized that Injustice for All was my introduction to storytelling, but there you go. When I think one of my big introductions to rock music, I first fell in love with rock music because of Nirvana. It was their yeah. unplugged album. I was, I was super into like oh. gangster rap before yeah. that, but then that yeah. unplugged album came out. I hated alternative music. I, yeah. I did. And then mm-hmm. I heard the Meat Puppets cover, Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. And oh I was gosh. like, whoa. And then after that, I got, it was the Black album I stumbled upon uh, yeah. in the rock world. And that was the one that, so oh, Metallica yeah. was a very formative band for me as well, uh, especially yeah. that album. I even liked, this is unpopular. I even like Saint Anger. I, it's a trashy snare sound, but I even like the snare sound. I, yeah, well, but I, mean, I get it, why people it, but don't. That, but that's the, again, that goes back to the subjectivity of music. Like there are albums and True. there are bands that I like that I refuse to apologize for because I just like them. It, it ties to a memory or it ties to an experience and it ties to something where it, it, it's an excuse for me to just not give a damn and be goofy, like whatever that winds up being. But I love, I agree because now I'm thinking about all the albums and there was actually, I think there was a playlist on Spotify that I came across. It was like nineties rock. And I was going through there and like, there's some amazing stuff, but um, it's funny now. So another true confession, I didn't like Nirvana at the time. I, I, I was like, yeah, they're okay. But I wasn't like, Oh, there's, you know, Kurt Cobain's the best ever. Right. But in the last, I'd say four years and I have no idea why, in the last four years, I have become obsessed with Nirvana. Like I, they, they again, just hits me differently now. That's and cool. so the, the unplugged album, never mind. Um, but they're, um, and I'll get it uh, live at reading their concert. And I think that's I what really, I haven't heard that one. So it's, it's, it's a concert movie. You could find it on, I know, I think I bought it on, on Apple. Um, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and it, cause I was looking up, I get down the rabbit hole of like top 10 lists on music. Right. And it was voted as the most impactful concert performance of all time. Wow. And it's, hmm. it's, ins- it's insane. Like, you know, and it was one of those that I, I sat down one night and I had a you know, glass of wine, sat and just watched the thing the whole way through. Mm. And I took on a new appreciation for every member of the band. You know, Kurt's phenomenal. Awesome. And obviously he's, he's, he's legendary, but when you've got Chris Novoselic, who is a phenomenal bass player and just drives a really, heavy riff and just is really, really good. But then Dave Grohl, I mean, Dave Grohl speaks for himself. So, <laughs> yes. Um, but when you think about like, he Allison exudes Kane, greatness, even from then, you know, oh, there's just yeah. something oh, special gosh, about yeah. that dude. Yeah. But Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, you know, um, all those albums. I was a big, big Anthrax fan too. Anthrax. I, see, I never got, I'll have to check them out oh. because I never, never really got into that. That And, and I yeah. know you like some super heavy stuff. Like oh you're, yeah, um, you're into like heavy, heavy things. Yeah, I mean, my favorite band of all time is Seven Dust. Like I, I love them 
unequivocally. Like there is no close second to seven dust in my world. Um, and, but you know, yeah, I, I've, I love Slipknot and I love Motionless and White and some of these really, you know, these heavier bands. And, um, you know, I ha had the privilege of actually hanging out and spending time with the guys in Slipknot when I lived in Des Moines for a few years. Nice. And again, like, I think that too was a really good insight into like, you could take Slipknot at face value and be like, okay, they're crazy and they're scary and, and horrifying and all these things. But when like, I would be at Corey's house and sit down and talk with him and, and hear what he has to say about things and understand that mm -hmm. he's got a room full of books and movies that influence how he writes. And, you know, and, and you, you get to know the person behind the, the performance that right. to me is like everything. That's why I love, like, I've always loved what was the VH1 behind the music series. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. was always amazing. Again, thanks to Injustice for All that I just realized the behind the scenes told the story of an album or an artist and it really shone in on those things. So like any documentary, like I'll watch any documentary that's about writing a music, you know, writing a song or an album or an artist. Um, I think Song Exploder is the new one that's on. Yeah. Netflix. There's a great episode on uh, Nine Inch Nails' uh, Hurt. Nice. Phenomenal. Like that, Trent breaks down the song and they, they, the guy breaks down every element of it. Song Exploder is a phenomenal show. I hope there's another yeah, Song nine, Exploder. And then there's another one, a guy at my gym actually suggested he has always has great music taste. So about every two weeks I ask him for like a suggestion, what, what he's listening to. Oh God, where is it? Um, so, you know, super professional podcasting here. Um, <laughs> but it, what they did is uh, dissect. Have you heard of this? Uh -uh. I haven't heard of that. So dissect and it, it takes an album and goes track by track and talks about the history of the song, the lyrics. Oh, wow. Like for example, uh, the one I listened through was they took uh, Kendrick Lamar's album, damn went track okay. by track. And before they dove into the full album, they actually talked about his, dis dis ha, his discography and its impact okay. on culture leading up to the release of damn. And then it just wove it all in and, Man, right. it blew me away because honestly, Damn is probably one of my favorite albums. I uh, rap is a is a big thing. Probably where you start tilting more towards the heavy stuff. I I start tilting towards more of the uh, the rap uh, world. I oh, have, I have to correct you there. So oh, going back, I assume. Back, yeah, here. So here's here's some good. Here's another another side of me. So the same day that I bought the Injustice for All album was the same day that I bought Easy Does It, and does I it. was. I was Help an easy out. fan. NWA, oh, okay. <laughs> public, like Public Enemy is is up there in my top five. Public nice. Enemy is one of my favorite groups. Of so all you time. had two tracks rolling. You're like Metallica. Oh, yeah. oh I, so so when my worlds collided, when Anthrax and Public Enemy did bring the noise. Oh, like that was ever like that was everything. Like that. Do you remember was, that? You remember the movie Judgment Night? Oh yeah, back in that, that era. Soundtrack? That soundtrack no, was me, one of the most underrated soundtracks of all time. Yeah. Biohazard and Cypress Hill, Ice T. Like, um, what was the? Um, oh, good. Helmet uh, House, of Pain. House of Pain. Yep. Yes. Just another victim it, is one of my favorite so workout good. tracks to this day. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Judgment. Like really, Hanson, Hanson, Micro Brews, and Judgment Night soundtrack. That's where we went. That, that that's why. I, that's why. Like you're my boy. Like I love talking with you about this. But yeah, that's, I, I like honestly, I, hip hip hop has been a ahead. huge part of my of my background too. Um, actually I started as a hip hop DJ and that was, you know, and then I kind of, I went into more of a house music and things like that, but I've always loved how like soulful house, but, um, oh yeah. Like public enemy is one of my favorite groups. X clan actually got to interview speech from arrested development on my podcast. Nice. Oh my arrested God. They were so good. Yeah, I mean, it just, just um, uh, amazing. Um, how was that interview? I, I'll just have to phenomenal. listen to it and check it phenomenal. out. Phenomenal. So, um, that's amazing. number one 
hands down one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to in my entire life. Mm. Um, he's, he's got a soul that just resonates even through a microphone, obviously with his music he does, but when he's talking to you, he's just, he's, he's just so full of energy and positivity. Mm. He's a, he's a phenomenal guy. So the conversation was great in a lot of ways too, because I shared with him and I actually got to, um, so funny story that I, every now and then, sorry if to any police officers that are watching this every now and then I'll record myself singing in my car. And so there was one day that I was doing bring the noise by public enemy, just the public enemy version of it. And I was just having a day that I just had to let out some energy coming out from work. And so I'm, I'm rolling down the, I'm rolling down the, the, the highway going bass. How low can you go death row? And I'm like recording it. And, and, and I posted it on Twitter. So then I get home and I check my phone later on and my Twitter has just like the notifications have just blown up. I'm like what? in the world chuck d retweeted my video of me doing him doing bring the noise cheers to you that's awesome it was was, uh, i mean and so (laughs) then he started following me and i'm like i sent him a message like dear chuck you know um, and so but i got the cool thing is i I got to tell him through dms and we exchanged a couple messages but i got to tell speech as well because he's in the same vein in this conversation is that growing up in johnson county kansas we didn't have black history we didn't have right. black education. We didn't, we, we just didn't. It wasn't in our curriculum because it's a predominantly white school district. And so I got to tell Chuck and I got to tell speech firsthand mm-hmm. that their music helped in educate me. You know, X-Clan is another group that I listened to back then. They were very pro-black and African history. And I got to learn through these, through these artists. And I think that's yeah. another part of music that we forget. And, and, you know, now I think we've we've gotten a little bit away from that. There are some bands that are still of the conscious thread or will have a conscious song here right. and there. But I think in the 90s, there was so much commentary within the music. I think that genre of music or that decade of music is so underrated because you think about like the Spice Girls and Hanson, sorry. Yeah, but man, um, yeah, rap was But, but, but some of those hardcore that. message groups were, were so prevalent in the 90s. Um, so that's why I think- Well, and there's artists music. like uh, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, uh, yeah. Royce to five, nine, those, those yeah. are ones that I've gravitated to. And they have a lot of that, that, what I would call conscious rap, uh, yeah. coming Childish into Gambino's it. Where, another one. Like, oh I my mean, God. Great. Everything great he artist. does. Yeah. Everything he does. Genius. Like, it's I just, mean, seriously, I can watch the, this is America video another hundred times. Like I think and apparently he didn't times. dance until making that video. <laughs> I was like, I, I want to punch I, myself. I tried those video, those dance moves one time. Yeah. It was, Thank God there was no camera rolling. It was awful. <laughs> like I would love to be able to dance like that, like him and the, and the kids in the video. But I mean, I was like, yeah, this is this is where I just kind of hang up my dancing shoes. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. The there's a a, a guy I interviewed. Uh, I think the last interview last week uh, named Micah, and he said that mm. Donald Glover is one of his you know people. He's he's looking at like I want to emulate this person like and i was like yeah that's a good goal to go for because it seems like everything he touches other than i'll be i'll be honest didn't like his stand-up a whole lot it was still well done i just didn't connect with it was a lot of nerd culture and i'm not i don't know a lot of that world so it was like it's well crafted i I you know i i i because i I have that nerd in me that inner Mm -hmm. nerd so I, i related to some of the things that he was talking about i i liked it i thought he was talented but i think his his acting like his pure group and, acting yeah. and then his music obviously speaks for itself but yeah he's he's a he's brilliant and again i think when you get like kendrick lamar and and chance and and some of these others mm-hmm. they're they're so multi-talented 
Um, Pharrell, I'd put in that same bucket too. I mean, he's, he's beyond the charts and a great businessman. Incredible. So I think there are those artists, but I think they're fewer and far between now than they were back then. Yeah. No, I feel you. Now, when you talked about story and the power Mm -hmm. of story to impact people, obviously all these artists we discuss, uh, you're, you're up, you know, week after week sharing these stories. Is there a story that sticks out to you, uh, where you saw impact? from one of your, from one of your meetings or one of the things you shared, like something that you like look at it encourages you. Yeah. Um, and it happened, oh, it was last summer towards the end of the summer, like July, August. And I was doing a keynote on well-being and wellness. And I'm a big proponent of mental health and self-care because I've, I've had my own battles in my life. And so I, I heard somebody say something earlier, um, on a, on a, uh, podcast about, your, your journey up the mountain and sharing that journey could be somebody else's survival guide. Hmm. And I, I truly believe that. So I think the more we talk That's about good. self-care and mental health awareness and, and, and our vulnerabilities too, like our, our blind spots and the things that, we, that impact us the most, I think the more conversations we have about that, and I've seen more since the pandemic than ever before, hmm. that really opens up a lot of really good conversations. So during this presentation on wellness and well-being, um, I shared a lot of my own personal struggle and my, my personal battles that I've gone through. And I said, you know, hey, look, for anybody, anybody that's facing this kind of battle right now, just know that there is a way out. And it may not be evident now because it wasn't always evident to me, but here I stand before you telling you exactly that there is a door. You just got to keep feeling around for it. And you got to keep trying and you got to keep moving because the minute you sit still in the darkness, that's when you succumb to it. But in that conversation and sharing that information and being vulnerable, like I was, you know, I, I get done with my keynotes and I feel like I get done with a DJ set. Like I almost want to have somebody throw me a bottle of water and a towel when I get yeah. done. Like, you spend your energy on like, like, Oh, give me to the green room. And, and it's, it's tough because, you know, you pour all that out and you don't know, especially in the virtual environment, you don't have that immediate interaction. Right. So you don't know what happens. And there was an email that came through later on that evening that this woman reached out and she said, Hey, I just want to thank you for what you did today, because I have been thinking about what you said, and I have been battling my own demons in the last couple of months, and I just want to say thank you, and I'm going to keep looking for the door, and I'm like, what? I mean, I almost like like sat back in my chair when I read it, I'm thinking, this is a woman that came into that presentation sitting in the darkness, letting it overcome her, and because of what I said and what I shared, I became that 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 resolution for her. I became right. that hope for her. And truly, I, I have always felt that that has been my calling, like to be able to help and to serve and to share and, and to mix vulnerability with comedy and, and humor and, and pop culture and, and make it fun and entertaining because we all relate to that. But that's why I also like with my podcast and with my keynotes, like I'm, I'm always talking about the struggle and the battle because people can relate to that. You can come out and say mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm the successful this and I do this and I've got all these things people can't relate to that because it's, it's not always achievable mm-hmm. and it's, it's subjective too. success is subjective, but right. we all relate to struggle. We all relate to battling. We all relate to trying to achieve something and what mm-hmm. the work that goes into that is. We all relate, you know, from a music standpoint and a create, you know, content creation standpoint, we all face that battle of saying, Oh, I don't know if anybody's going to like this. I mean, every, every day, every, every day, artist, every, <laughs> everybody who's ever done something and said, here world, judge me, please. Like right. we, we've all had that moment. where, like, oh God, is anybody going to like this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
and then you either hit send or post or you send out that that demo or you send out that song and you're like ah and then you hear something back and you're hmm. like oh okay it did make a difference yeah and so that's that, that's, that's powerful as, man that that's me as your a, yeah your story i think you said your story can be someone else's survival guide and that right. man that's just a powerful thing. I, I know for, I I've dealt with a lot of uh, depression, anxiety. I know we've, we've discussed that a little bit in the past yeah. over coffee and yeah. um, it, it was always more of a, a quiet thing for me, a quiet struggle. And uh, I had friends, a producer challenge me, like you need to start sharing. And I, it was, it made me nervous where I feel way more comfortable with the now, but it, it was that same, same scenario where our similar, similar scenario where the moment I start opening up about it, realizing one, there's so many people around me dealing with the same things. So, uh, many. but two, like you said, it, like maybe I'm just a little further down the road than somebody else. And that encourages them to keep going. Or maybe some of the people I talked to and shared my story with were further down the road and had some other great insights uh, to right. help me continue to move forward. But yeah, your right. story can become their survival guide. That's exactly. And, and once, you, once you emerge, I guess you think about either, you're coming out of that or you've emerged mm-hmm. and you're stronger because of it for every one person that does that there are five people that are walking into the darkness so mm-hmm. the more we talk about it the more we circulate that hope and the more we circulate that vulnerability and connectivity on that topic the more people right. that walk into that darkness understand that there's a way out on the other side of that they don't have to sit in there number one mm-hmm. alone or number two for long if they don't want to so it, it really is, it's powerful to keep talking. And, and for anybody that's listening, that's, that's walking into that darkness or that is sitting in that darkness, Hey, there's, there's a way out and, and there's a way for you. And it's, you know, and talk to people, find some people that you can trust and talk to because it is more prevalent than, you know, or than you think. And the more you talk about it, the more you're going to find people that are like, Hey, look, I understand. They're going to empathize with you because they've been there too. Hmm. That's a great encouragement. It inspires me. Like my brain's already turning, like, how can you create a system where you remember to keep sharing about that? Cause I, I get on other things and other pushes and other, you know, but, but I do remember there was a season where I was diving more deep into that. And honestly, that was the most feedback I had gotten from fans, uh, even online. Uh, there's a artist named secondhand King. Have you heard of him Hmm. at all? Uh, he's, they call it, I think he calls it like doo-wop rap. Uh, it's, it's a very, interesting style. And I think one of the most gifted, uh, artists coming out of Kansas city, but second hand Kings. And, but he did a show, I would say maybe two years ago. I didn't, I, I think I was probably playing a show somewhere else. So I wasn't able to go, but he actually had his, uh, therapist come on stage with him and they did oh, an wow. interview. And I, I hope to eventually have him on. I'd love to talk about that experience, but, uh, I was like, man, that is a That's brilliant, awesome. brilliant idea uh, to is, help people see genius. And that was because for me, just going to a counselor, like I remember driving into like the parking lot and then driving away. And it took another year, year and a half to finally go through the door, you know, but if Mm -hmm. you can see that and and display that for other people, like, no, you, you can find healing. You can find. And I I agree with you. Like I will say, and I've said it numerous times in in presentations and podcasts and things like that. Anybody, like, I, I think that should be a requirement in life is that you go to a counselor at least once. Because right. it is the most powerful and it needs to be destigmatized and it's, be- it's becoming more destigmatized. Mm-hmm. But going to a counselor, talking with somebody who's a trained professional and, and, and sharing how you're feeling is one of the most powerful things. I had a counselor, I went through a, a, a bad relationship where I was verbally abused and it was, it, was, mm-hmm. it was shattering to me. 
And so when I, when I exited the relationship, I was, I was a hot mess. I was destroyed. I didn't know which way was up. And so going to a counselor, he helped me figure out what piece went with what and helped me put myself back together in a stronger version of who I, who I was and who I was intended to be. Hmm. And I, I never, like, I never shy away from that conversation. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, Hey, I'll, I'll drive you to the counselor. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll set you up with a couple of ways. And especially now in the virtual environment, there have been right. more people getting into virtual counseling. So mm-hmm. you can do it from the privacy of your own home, but please like give it a shot. Don't ever, if you've ever thought about going to a counselor, do it and do it like this week or set up mm-hmm. something this week because it's the most valuable thing you'll ever do. Yeah. And I, I always equated it to like, I take voice lessons. I, I took, you know, guitar lessons. And after a while, I started feeling like, okay, this I'm going to my life lessons, <laughs> you know, or my right, emotional right. lessons or right, my mental right. lessons, whatever they are. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I remember going two different seasons and, and incredibly uh, helpful uh, to my life. And there's times where even it, recently where I'm like, maybe that's something I need to do again, uh, almost yeah. like a checkup, like, Hey, how, how do you figure out these next steps? And it doesn't even necessarily have to be, uh, like for me, I was dealing with like OCD and anxiety and a lot of like heavy stuff, but maybe it's just like, I feel like I want to take a next step in my life. I know some people have done that where they're mm-hmm. like, I've reached some level of success, but I feel like maybe there's some roadblocks I'm not seeing. Right. So they would go in for like six months and, and do that to help open up really the, the next iteration of whatever their business or personal life was. And yep. yeah, such a powerful thing. Well, man, I, I love your approach, uh, in general, uh, to what you're doing. It seems to, to be this holistic piece where it's not just about success in business, not just success in health, but it's like this, this whole, whole thing. And it, okay. so I'm curious from you, this idea of living a great life, uh, right. that's, it kind of encompasses all of it. <laughs> if you yeah. had to define it, uh, what does living a great life look like to you? You know, I think living a great life to me today at 44 is so starkly different than it was at say 24, 34. And I think now what I will say is that living a great life to me now is being true to who you are. And, and I, I I'm, it won't sound the way it's coming out, but really doing what makes you happy and not worrying about other people. So not in a selfish way, but when it comes down to it, I've spent so much of my life trying to make other people happy or doing things that I think would would get approval from others. And I was so worried about it, either doing it and worrying about the approval or not doing it because I was scared of the, the disapproval that I would get or the rejection that I would get from it. And I would say now that I have found more happiness, more fulfillment, in more genuine energy in myself, even especially when I need it with, with late nights and early mornings, because I'm doing what means the most to me. And I think it starts there. And, and I, you know, I love being a husband. I love being a father, but I have to take care of myself first. And I have to do the things that are making me happy to be the best person that I can be in the, in the other areas of my life. And I think, so when you can start with that core, no matter what else is going on in the spokes of all the other things you've got going on, that core happiness feeds into those and you'll, you'll see yourself reflected in that way. And for a lot of people that, that are struggling with that, they struggle with communication. They struggle with family life. They struggle with work-life balance. They struggle with those things because they're not owning who they are and owning what makes them happy. Mm. Again, like I, I became so unapologetic. And with that, I started shedding that, that fear of rejection. And that was the most empowering thing in my entire life. So I think that in of itself, starting from there, 
finding the core happiness of what you truly want, what truly makes you happy and not apologizing for it and being who you are. Because it's the same thing, like I can sit here and talk about all the different weird music that I like or the weird movies that I like or why I'm, I'm oddly attracted to this kind of a band. And I can own that and be happy in that and that's fine. And I guarantee you, if I talk about it enough, somebody else will understand that. And right. so we're not alone because I think that's the biggest fear that we have is that I'm going to, I'm going to like something or I'm going to own my happiness, but nobody else is going to be along that ride with me. Who cares? Like you're making yourself happy and starting from there is where everything else resonates outside of that circle. So focus on the things that you truly like and write them down, right? Write down. Like I love my coffee a certain way and I love certain kinds of music and, and all those things, like write those things down, look at that list and own it. That's a great from idea. From that point forward, your life will change dramatically. So, man, I, I love that. It's a great idea too. Just writing down even even those small little things. It's like no, just just embrace it. You know, they call them guilty pleasures uh, of oh, like, yeah. especially in the music world, right? And yeah. there's times where I'm like, you know, why can't I talk about the fact that I like Vanessa Carlton because she's really good, okay? And you know, you know my <laughs> like I so so it, and along those lines, and you'll appreciate this too. So I went through a CD purging phase a few months uh, ago. I had my tubs of CDs that I just could not depart. I, did, I had been collecting them from my DJ days. And like, I just, I, I just had this emotional connection to them. And so I'm flipping through and there's a bunch that I'm like, eh, you know, I can get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. And I was like, Natalie Merchant. I can't. She like, <laughs> framed like, it instead. You kept it. it, it right, exactly. It's like the album cover, she's doing this. And I'm like, I, Natalie, I can't, I can't throw you. You have to stay with me. I'm sorry. And like, I, in my, like legit, my favorite singer of all time, Sade won't apologize for it. I don't care. I love every song that's Sade just embrace it. I've seen her twice in concert. She winked at me once. It was one of the best moments of my life. Like, I don't care. I own that. And like I sometimes love- when I'm driving alone, I still think about that moment. It, it was just such a beautiful moment. I, I, there, you have no idea how many times that moment. So I'm like, you know, I'll have a bad day. I'll be like, but Sade winked at me. Can you say that? I don't think I so. Like nope. I'm immediately like, bam. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So thank you Sade I, for making my life. <laughs> I remember, uh, so I remember being 29, which was a few years ago. Uh, Cause I'm in the 40 club Two. as well. And right. uh, it really, I spent, I'm a people pleaser uh, mm-hmm. naturally. It's just who I am. Uh, and that's been a whole life journey for myself. But the first time I was really confronted with this idea, I was at a conference and there was a guy uh, that I just started talking to. I just, I love striking up conversations with different people, new people. And, uh, and he said he was 30 and I was like, man, I'm 29. I'm kind of freaking out because I'm going to turn 30. And it seemed like so old to me at the time. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, how's it been? And he goes, huh, it's actually been kind of cool. I was like, why? He said, "Uh, for some reason, I just started caring less about what people thought. And I don't know why up to that point, I had never really gave that a whole lot of consideration. And really that, I think that next decade, maybe in part because of that conversation, uh, Mm -hmm. sent me on that journey of, of exploring, like, where is people pleasing? Part of it was honestly recently is just embracing that that's who I am and it's okay. I just can't let it hinder myself. I can't, uh, uh, well, I can go deep into that, but essentially embracing even the fact that I am a people pleaser, uh, but right. seeing where it can take me off track. But, but yeah, to, to really, uh, value yourself, it kind of opens the doors to, to love the people around you, I think better. 
And, well, I, and that's, I that's like one of the main that. things I respect and love about you, man, is that the fact that you are, you, you are very empathetic and you are very much a, of a servant mentality and a pleasing mentality. But again, like I, I agree, like my 30th birthday set me, set me on the course of setting me free. Like that was, I remember being so clogged up with people pleasing up until that point. And I didn't disassociate myself with people pleasing, but I looked at it in a different way. Right. And it sounds like you've kind of done the same thing where it's, it's still important but it's right. not the catalyst to everything else. Like if I don't get acceptance or I don't please people, or if I do something and it doesn't get the reaction that I want, I'm not wrecked about it. It's like, I'll so survive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I will. I, I, will I almost went hard. I, I shared in a previous part, podcast, but where I went hardcore the opposite direction. And frankly, oh. for a few years, I think I became an asshole. <laughs> and it wasn't, nece- it <laughs> wasn't necessarily good. And I've, I think I left some carnage that uh, hopefully some of it, I've, I've been able to you know, work out with different people but I almost feel like even that was part of the phase where I had to go hard this way. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to be an asshole, but I do yeah. have to have strong boundaries. And, oh, but absolutely. then, but then I did see like other relationships flourish through that. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a powerful thing, man. Thanks for sharing that. And of course, and creation, right. When you yep. think of creating great things, mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? You know, it, it, for a while, and, and, and again, tying the music back to it. So for a while there, I thought it meant like doing something that would just blow everybody's mind. And especially like I, I was, I've always been that kind of person, especially with music that I wanted to be really good, really quick. And so like I, I played guitar for three months when I was in middle school and I played drums for like two weeks when I was 10 because I, I didn't want to put the practice in. And I, and I will, I will starkly remember there was a, there was a, a global producer, one of the top names in house music production that he, I played with him one time and, and he, you know, we stayed in touch and he, I said something about wanting to write music. And he said, well, if you ever write anything, send it to me and I would love to put it on my show, use it on my set. Awesome. You know? And, and I went into that place of like, Oh my gosh, like this guy's a legend. I've got to do something that is perfect and immaculate. And that will be, you know, the, the, the best premiere track that any dance producers ever put out. And I didn't do a damn thing about it. Mm. I never did it. I started it and it was awful. And I could never get out of my way because I wasn't being true to who I was. I was trying to make something that I thought everybody else would like. And I didn't, I didn't do what I felt was right. Man. And so I think when it comes to creation, whether that's art, music, writing, anything, own what you're doing. Because again, kind of going back to the music, com- you know, comparisons and things like that, somebody, it will resonate with somebody. Same thing with my presentations, like I talked about earlier. Like I own what I say. I own the stories within it. I own the message that I want to convey. I'm not worried about what's right or what, you know, what I think will be popular. I do what I think is the correct thing to say and the correct message to convey and the correct hope to give. Mm-hmm. And if it resonates, great. If it doesn't, then, you know, I can walk away saying I, I did what I thought was the pure thing to do. And I can take solace in that. And I, you know, yeah, I mean, it may, we all have off days, you know, not every band has ever had a stellar flawless performance. You know, we, they, there's always been that I've had many a snafu in my DJ days. So it's, it's always there. Imperfection is always laying in the grass waiting for you to think you're perfect. Hmm. And so owning what you know, owning what you believe, owning what is true to you, is the source of all happiness with creation. And yes, you're going to create garbage. Like we all are. We, we all are going to put out a horrible song or paint a painting right. that is just absolutely atrocious. And I've written articles and I've done podcasts. And I'm like, this is terrible. And you know, don't even get me started on my singing. Like I, I'm so hit or miss when it comes to singing. 
like there are times where I, like I would, again, going back to my recording in the car, I would record it thinking like, oh, I sound great. And I play it back. I'm like, what in the cat? <laughs> and next, the next thing you know, Chuck D is, you know, retweeting it. Chuck D is like, like unfollow, right? <laughs> Can I re-record that, man? I'm, I'm sorry. Like, hey, if I go to Chuck's profile, he's like, I unfollowed you because you tried to sing something that was way out of your range. And that's really embarrassing. And I can't have that on my street cred. Like, I... Mm, sorry. So, <laughs> but again, like I, if you own the happiness in it awesome. and you own the pure part of your heart that is putting it into the creation, everything takes care of itself from there. That's huge, man. I, I love it. That's, that's great, man. Well, thank you for making the time and thanks oh, for sharing man. these stories and, and yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. It's always good to good to talk to you, good to connect with you, but I really appreciate you letting me come on the show and, and share my stories and, and again, like all the different weird angles that we took on this, but right. I, it is what it is. I own it all, man. That's, that's and you that's, let me know right. if you find that Hanson brewery, because that would be, I, you know, what, video. we get done with this, I'm Googling <laughs> where that is. I, I will find that and I will get that to you. I promise you. And if it doesn't exist, I will buy a beer and I will put a label on it that has Hanson's picture on it. Just to <laughs> I need to start studying up the lyrics so I can do the spoken word interpretation. Oh, don't, don't act like you don't know the lyrics. Don't do that. <laughs> own, own your knowledge of handsome lyrics and don't be ashamed of it. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.